0: Hello, and welcome to part four of Who Is This Man on the College Age Movement podcast. Uh, this is our final week of this series, and what we've been doing over the last uh, about month is we've been looking at the attributes of Jesus, the ways that he exemplified these incredible things. Uh, we talked about compassion. We talked about humility. We talked about forgiveness. We talked about how he really challenged uh, uh, things, and not just the culture of the time, but the people of the time, and still today, his message just rings true. His message still is countercultural, and that is why today we are just talking about this concept um, of Jesus being a challenger of culture, both in his culture at the time and how following him still uh, is countercultural. There has always been something about Jesus that pushed back at the status quo. He took expectations and he either changed them or he would exceed them. And there there was just something radical, something rebellious about Jesus. And yet it seems that Christians today seem to have been tamed. It seems like we're predictable. It seems like what was attractional about Jesus is no longer attractional about us today. So, I think that we have to ask ourselves the question, am I a person who draws others because of my faith? Do people pay attention to what I do? Do people pay attention to, to how I speak, to how I act? And if the answer to that is a confident yes, then we can just keep going. But some of us, most of us, most of us would probably question whether or not that is actually the case for our own lives or even for our communities of faith. So I want to look at some areas today that we could model Jesus and influence the world around us, ways that that he challenged culture then and the ways that we can challenge culture today. And this isn't going to be streamlined. This isn't going to be something where it's just like, wow, this, this sermon just lines up so well. This idea, this topic is just like so fluid. Now I, I looked at so many different things found dozens upon dozens upon dozens of things that Jesus did to challenge the culture of his time, but also the way that he just changed the world and influenced how we think of things today. And so what I want to do is I just want to look at three things and they, they have a little bit to do with each other, but at the same time, they don't at all. Um, so stick with me, stick with me. Luke chapter 13 verses 10 through 17 says this is on a on a Sabbath. Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites. There are a couple important things that we can point out from this one story. The first point being this, Jesus valued people over policies. Jesus valued people over policies. Jesus constantly communicated a very clear message. He cared more about the people that he came into contact with than the religious systems that were put into place. And now while we are 2000 plus years separated from the life of Jesus, there are still so many religious systems in place. Organized religion can be incredibly dangerous, and we have to be careful that we never get there. But it's also important to understand that organized religion in itself isn't bad. I work for organized religion. I'm a pastor because of organized religion. This is an organized religious podcast that we put out every single week. There's there's organization, and it's a religious idea, But the word organized or the words organized religion have just a terrible connotation. And a lot of us have really bad church experiences and a lot of us have really bad experiences with organized religion. And that's totally fine. I'm not saying that organized religion is like the only answer. The problem with organized religion comes in when the organization starts to prioritize itself over the people or when the organization prioritizes its own agenda over the mission of Jesus. One of our core values of Faith Chapel is Jesus in everything. So if we cannot confidently say in everything that we do, every action that we take, every event we put on, every service we host, whatever it may be, if we cannot say Jesus is right in the middle of this, then it's not worth doing. We are all about Jesus. So that is something that we have to focus on. The the organization of religion or organized faith, whatever you want to call it, isn't bad. But it has to be done under the premise that Jesus is at the center of it, that the mission of Jesus always takes precedent. See, Jesus' healing on the Sabbath was a huge no-no in the eyes of the religious powers of the time. The religious powers of the time hated that he did that. And Jesus couldn't have cared less. He wasn't concerned about ruffling some feathers. He was concerned about the well-being of his people. And it's so important that we recognize that, that Jesus was intent on loving people over checking boxes, that he wasn't concerned about the religious people of the time being mad at him. He was concerned about the people knowing that they were loved. See, if our end goal is to love people radically, like Jesus loved people radically, we're often going to frustrate the most religious people in our lives. Because religion is based on works, and faith is based on what has already been done. See, faith is rarely concerned with religion. Faith is rarely concerned with religion. Everything that we do is because of our faith in Jesus. Everything that we do is because Jesus asked us to do it not because a church told us we had to do it, not because we said, they said this is the, the to-do list of what it means to be a part of the church, but because of what Jesus did and continues to do in our lives. So our faith is not concerned with religion. The second thing that I want to talk about from this story is that Jesus saw incredible value in women. Jesus saw incredible value in women. There's some, some things that we have to understand about the culture that Jesus was living in. First, women held little to no value outside of their relationship with men. If they did not have sons, if they were not married, then their worth was next to nothing. They had to worship in a different area of the synagogue, that they weren't allowed to worship in the same area that their sons or their husbands were worshiping in. They were not allowed to study the Torah like the men were. They didn't have access to the Torah. They weren't allowed to read the Torah out loud. In fact, this was a culture so steeped in this type of tradition that men were told not to greet women in public. They were told to avoid greeting women in public. There was even authors at the time that would say that a woman should not leave her home unless she is going to the synagogue and then going back home. You see, these things and many more added up to a culture that devalued women. Yet, We find ourselves looking at a rabbi, a leader in the Jewish religion, who calls a woman forward on the Sabbath and heals her in the very establishment that told her where she could worship. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He uses the phrase daughter of Abraham, daughter of Abraham. And that might not mean a lot to us today, but that meant everything in the moment. Jesus was not just assigning her value, he was assigning her equal value. The expression son of Abraham was often used in culture to remind the men that they were in a covenant with God. Daughter of Abraham was never used until Jesus coined it, until Jesus said, you, valuable daughter of Abraham, valuable daughter of God, are also in a covenant with the one and only creator. He was assigning her equal value and it was culture changing that he would be willing to call forward a woman in the synagogue on the Sabbath, lay his hands on her and heal her. That was absolutely massive. And this wasn't the only time that Jesus broke cultural norms to show how much he valued women. Many of us have heard the story of the woman at the well, but it's important to point out what transpires between Jesus and the Samaritan woman goes beyond the idea of grace. It goes beyond the idea of forgiveness. And if you haven't heard the story of the woman uh, the woman at the well, here's the, the really short Spark Notes version is that Jesus is traveling with with his companions. He goes to a well. He is thirsty. He has nothing to draw water. And this woman comes out, and Jesus waits for her to come. The Samaritan woman comes out to draw water from the well, and he asks her for a drink. And so Jesus, in this, is, is breaking cultural norms, religious norms. First of all, he's speaking to a foreigner, which broke religious custom, and he's speaking to a woman in public. Those are two things that Jesus did that are just breaking barriers. And it's something that a rabbi would not do. And this woman, I think she gets a bad rap. We've always looked at her as this sinner, which she was. She was imperfect and she was sinning. And she had been married to several different men. And the man that she was currently living with was not her husband. But we have to remember that outside of a relationship with a man, she could die. She literally was trying to survive. And that doesn't just... Uh, excuse all the things that she did in her life. But a man could literally present a certificate of divorce to a woman without any reason. he could just say, I don't want to be married to you anymore. And they were done. And a woman was not allowed to divorce a man. So we have to understand that Jesus sees this valuable, incredible daughter of God, and he starts to engage with her. And she is absolutely blown away. In John chapter 4, verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. That's huge. Jews do not associate with Samaritans. they were a different race. They were a different religion. Why would, why would they associate with a Samaritan? And add that a Samaritan woman. But then Jesus does something even more radical. He entrusts her with the information that he is the Messiah. She makes a statement that the Christ is coming, that the Messiah is coming, and he says, I am he, fully understanding that she was going to go and she was going to tell her entire village that she just interacted with the Messiah. How could you not? You just had a life-changing, life-altering altering interaction with the Messiah, the Savior of the world. You are going to go tell everyone. Oftentimes, Jesus was saying, go and tell no one, but he doesn't say that to this woman. He entrusts her with information. This is what's really interesting is that in this culture, a woman wasn't even allowed to give testimony in court. They weren't valuable enough to stand before and say, this is what happened between these people. This is what happened in this interaction. Their testimony was deemed invalid. Women did not have value when it came to their testimony. And yet scripture then says that many Samaritans were saved because of the testimony of a woman that many Samaritans found Jesus because of the Samaritan woman, because of the testimony of a woman. That was culture shifting. Jesus was willing to cross over racial, gender, and religious barriers to make sure that she knew that she was valuable, to know that she was loved. And today we are called to do the exact same thing. It might not be the exact same culture as it was 2,000 years ago, but we are kidding ourselves if we don't see traces of this in our culture, in the church, in everyday culture, in our workplaces, in our schools, whatever it may be. So I think this poses a couple challenges and concepts that we need to speak about even today in 2019. First, if you're a man and you're listening to this, if there's any ounce of you that believes that women are less valuable, it's time to check your heart. And figure out why it is that you believe that because it's not true. That is something that you have to get rid of. And if there's any part of you that thinks that women are less effective for the kingdom of Christ, it's time to kill that too. Women are just as valuable to the kingdom of Christ. William are just as valuable to our everyday lives. I'm not going to sit here and talk about women in vocational ministry at length, but I will tell you that I believe in women at every level of ministry and that some of the most influential people on my faith have been women. If you have a problem with that, email me. Let's talk about it. I'll get some literature in your hand of why I believe that women can be vocational pastors, why they can lead in so many different capacities, and and why they're uniquely equipped for the kingdom of God. Jesus used women in his ministry, and I think that we should be using women in our ministry too because they are incredible. Men, hear me in that. If you have a problem with it, get in contact with me. Secondly, I just want to speak to you if you are a woman. If there is any part of you that feels like you are undervalued, underappreciated, pigeonholed, stereotyped, or less than because of your gender, remember that the savior of the world deemed you worthy. Equal to, not less than. Not just value, equal value. And if he deems you to have equal value, if he deems you valuable, who cares what anyone else thinks? You are valuable. You are loved. Jesus loves you so much. Jesus communicated so many things over his years of ministry that women, children, orphans, widows, foreigners, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, were valuable children of God, period. Not just Jewish men, that all people, Jesus came to save the world, not just Jewish men. Jesus came to impact the world, not just a specific group of people. We have to remember that Jesus came for every single one of us. And we could dive into Jesus, how Jesus addressed all of these different types of people, and maybe we will at a later date, but I want to focus on one last way that Jesus challenged expectations. There's two verses. One's found in Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 10 in the Old Testament. The other's found in Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 through 11 in the New Testament. Zechariah says this it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout, daughter Jerusalem, talking to the nation of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war, war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. And then Matthew chapter 21 verses one through 11, it says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead. Once you're there, you'll find a donkey tied with her colt by her untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, Zechariah, that we just read. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes, you gentle and riding on a donkey and on the colt to the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna, the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. So the last point today is this, a different kind of king, a different kind of king. These two different passages found hundreds of years apart are talking about the same instance. The prophet Zechariah was prophesying what would happen and Jesus was fulfilling it. The idea of a king riding on a donkey may seem a little odd. We would probably picture a king coming in on a war horse or a steed equipped for battle. That there would just be this BA horse that the king would ride in on and he would start to lay down the law. But riding into Jerusalem on a donkey communicated clearly that he was entering in peace, not looking for war with Rome not looking for war at all. He was coming to sacrifice himself and the people would have been torn. The Jewish people had an expectation that the Messiah was a king who would save them through war because that is what kings had always done. That the great men in their history were kings who came and won battles. Kings who killed and took over land and established the nation of Israel. But Jesus was coming differently. He was going to change everything in a different way. You see, instead, in comes Jesus, a merciful king, not a militant one. Mercy meaning compassion or forgiveness towards a person or situation that you could judge or condemn. Jesus had every right to enter into the world pissed off and ready to knock heads. Instead, he came full of forgiveness, ready to die a brutal death for you and I. And this is why knowing that he came in peace matters. Too often Christians place themselves in a position of judgment and condemnation. Christians have too often become militant instead of merciful. We we have made the mistake of adopting this mentality of us against the world when it should be us for the world. It's not us against the world. It's not followers of Jesus against the world. It's followers followers of Jesus for the world, that we are called to love God and love people in such a radical way that people's lives are changed, that we introduce people to Jesus. This is the problem, is that Jesus did not come in peace so that you and I could start wars. Jesus did not come in peace so that you and I could start wars. And I'm not talking about physical wars. I'm not talking about Iraq. I'm not talking about anything like that. So hear me when I say this. I'm talking about in your life, You are not called to create battles. You are not called to create wars with people because Jesus came in peace to love and save the lost, seek and save the lost. Our battles are not with flesh and blood, but with rulers and principalities of darkness. We have talked about that before. The enemy is not the people around you. The enemy is not your boss. The enemy is not your parents. The enemy is not your coworker. The enemy is not your professor. Your enemy is a roaring, prowling lion who is ready to come and steal and devour. That Satan is the enemy. People are not the enemy. So let's not start wars with people. We're called to be offensive. We're called to be on the offensive all the time. We are not defensive because Satan is scared of those of us who follow Jesus because we're going to go love people and accept people and welcome people into the family of God at a rate where he doesn't know what to do anymore. We do not start wars. Jesus came in peace so that we could come in peace. We have to be people who think donkey over war horse, that we are entering into situations in peace. We are not looking to start battles. As we enter into every different kind of situation, would we just stop and posture ourselves in a way that would communicate peace and mercy, not aggression or defensiveness? He was a different kind of king so that we could be a different kind of people. He was a different kind of king so that we could be a different kind of people. So as we wrap up the series, it's important that we understand that we really just barely scratched the surface of talking about all the ways that Jesus changed the world, the ways that he challenged culture, the way that he was a forgiving God, a God with humility, compassionate, all of these different things. So I just want to encourage you, go read your Bible. Go learn about Jesus. There's not a better place to learn about Jesus than actually reading scripture. So if you don't have a Bible, hit us up on social media, comment on this podcast, whatever it is, and we'll get a Bible in your hands. We will make sure that you have the tools necessary to read about Jesus. Do not let imperfect human beings shape your perception of a perfect God. Read, pray, ask questions. That's what this is all about. Following Jesus is all about getting into the word and praying to the God that is with us. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope that you're having a great week. If you're in Billings, come hang out, be in community Tuesday night, seven o'clock. If not, we'll talk to you really soon.